0: You're listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio, only here, lastwordonsports.com.
1: What's up, Internet? My name is Matt Pollard, and you are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio, only here, lastwordonsports.com. We are brought to you by Ickers FC and Roughneck Scarves. It is Wednesday, November 2nd, 2022. Uh, We are coming to you, what, just two, three, three days away from the MLS Cup final, Philadelphia Union versus LAFC, and we're what, uh, Jamie, I can't keep track of how many days we are from the World Cup, but I know it's after MLS Cup, so I'm not thinking about it until MLS Cup is over. Jamie Rook, how are we doing?
0: All good, thank you. Yeah, as you say, MLS Cup just round the corner, which, whilst a positive means that there's only one game left before MLS has a sizable layoff, which is the only downside, and then there are uh, Bizarre Winter World Cup to come. So all is interesting at the moment in the world of MLS. Mm-hmm,
1: absolutely. Uh, Jamie, we were just talking about this a little bit earlier. I know you didn't do a whole lot of big stuff for Halloween, but um, on the 29th, so I'll say weekend, um, I was at the Colorado Springs Switchbacks game, their playoff match against Sacramento Republic, and they managed to win that one 2-1 in extra time. And so I was there as Christian Pulisic with the lifting the shirt up and showing the man in the mirror and then also as Ted Lasso when it got a little bit chilly in the second half and and into extra time. So I believe we have the, I think it's the conference finals this weekend, Jamie, where we have, um, I'm pretty sure it's San Antonio versus Colorado Springs. And I can't remember, I think it's Tampa and then somebody else in the east. So um, interesting calendar year from a American soccer standpoint in that we have the USL Championship finishing up after MLS Cup, but I imagine not having a bunch of players that are going to the World Cup makes it a little bit easier to get away with that schedule. But let's get into it, Jamie. Uh, We've had the second and third to last games of the MLS calendar over this past Sunday in the conference conference finals, conference championships, LAFC defeating Austin FC 3-0, and then a 3-1 barnstorming comeback from the Philadelphia Union over NYCFC, avenging their loss in this fixture last year. Jamie, let's start in... The West chronologically with the game that was earlier on. And I looked at this, Jamie, and I was kind of curious. You know, I said this to Harvey on the podcast last week. These were two contrasting styles, and it was a matter of who was going to impose themselves. And I think it was pretty clearly LAFC was by far the superior team, and they wanted you to know it and know it early. They're swarming Austin, get a bunch of chances. Brad Stuver does everything he can to keep his team in the game. Uh, I think it was Sinfuentes hits the post in the first couple of minutes, but then Chicho Rongo on a um, on a corner in the twenty ninth minute. Austin FC comes out. They have a little bit better. It's a little bit more even in the second half for the first 10 minutes. And then they make a double substitution thinking, okay, they can come in and maybe, you know, get their hands on the game, take control. And Maxi Ruti with his first touch, a pretty nice header to the back post, but on a corner into his own net for an own goal to make it 2-0. And then Kwadwo Poku um, seals it off on 3-0. Uh, Jamie, this could have been 3-0 in the opening 30 minutes. This could have been 6-0 by full time. What do you make of this match?
0: As you say, yeah, it was very much a case of LaFC having fallen short in years gone by, almost not wanting to fall into the same trap. And although they've got some new players and a new coach, they are they are that team who have, in the last three or four years, always been able to just call out an excellent performance, and they showed that here. As you said, it feel almost feel for Maxi Rio, a bit of a legend of the league, coming on to. To do what he did, just seconds really after, yeah, coming off the bench, and then it was almost a story of the substitutes with Pogu, yeah, being a substitute and scoring ten minutes later. But yeah, I think it's from an LAFC point of view, it's uh, obviously the the one that got away in their brief history, trophy wise, has been MLS Cup. They won the shield before, but then can produce in the postseason. And then a team like Austin, who have who have, uh upset a fair few teams this year. It seemed that they could maybe be the one to stop LAFC, having done it twice I think, in the regular season, but when it mattered most it was it was LFC who came out on top and you look at the players they got available, but it's it's not the stars that have done it as such. It's a poke a good role player amongst those top talents then Chicho Oranga who six months ago maybe wasn't even a wasn't even a favourite of Torandolo but He's worked hard and continued to find the back on there. And whilst Veya's got two assists, I think, again, it's Arango who's come to the fore and, yeah, just been a threat in front of goal. And, yeah, I think you put it perfectly that Austin just couldn't really handle what LFC had to offer. It was a, a big game under which, I don't want to say Austin choked, but um, two yellow cards in the first half, both down their left side, which is evidence, really, of the pressure they were under. And, yeah, it was just... Convincing, I think, is if I had to use one word to describe it for LAFC and for Austin, it'd just be convincing LFC did what they came to do and they're a threat going forward into the final.
1: Yeah, Jamie, I guess to, to make an analogy that would be really easy for you, I I feel like Manchester City is still the better team than Arsenal, even though Arsenal is the better team in the Premier League. And I feel like the narrative that we saw in this game could be really similar to a very plausible outcome when Arsenal and Man City play each other for the first two times. You know, it's, oh, big rivalry and everything. You know, top two teams in the Premier League. And then Manchester City comes in and just says, like... Stop with the narrative that they're going to win the league and everything, or that we let Gabriel Jesus go and then therefore he's revitalized and somehow better than Erling Holland. In the first 20 minutes, we're going to make it blatantly obvious that we're the better team, and the scoreline is going to reflect that at the end of it. And so, you know, to your point, you know, two yellow cards for Nicolima and, uh, you know, and Ragoni in the first 20 minutes. And then after that, it was all LAFC on their left, Austin's right side on the flank. Danny Bowanga could have had two goals in this one. Palacios, for me, one of the best fullbacks. Um, him versus Kai Wagner, I think, is going to be a really interesting, uh, you know, person-to-person matchup when we get to the final. But I just thought, you know, LAFC came out and played their best possible game. And it was going to take the best possible game from Austin in order to deal with that. And I thought the defense bent a whole lot and managed to not break in the opening 30 minutes. I thought Brad Stuver was absolutely fantastic. I think a, you know, I think, I think he faced... Uh, I can't remember what the stats were. I think he had maybe seven saves on 10 shots or something like that, Jamie, but it was only 2.25 XG. But, you know, again, I I think other pedestrian goalkeepers in this league, it would have been easily 5-0 and certainly 3-0 by halftime. I think the big thing for me, if we look at this fixture over the course of the two regular season games it's that austin played their pest game and they did what they do best in terms of possession play up the middle to druci and then there's a cast of characters around him that were extremely effective uh they played i think it was four million dollars for rigoni jamie and he has not been impressive at all i think ethan finley would have been a much better option especially with austin trying to play out into space in this game i think Fagundes was maybe the most impressive of the attackers that you had um and even then, he had an off day. And, you know, I think we could you could argue GTA versus Maxi Aruti in this one. Neither of them were impressive. Neither of them are what Chicho Rong is if we're talking about foils for each other. But LAC just came out. They pressed Austin. The center backs could not deal with that. Uh, Danny Pereira and Alexander Ring couldn't get settled in the midfield. And that just forced Austin to play hopeless long balls out wide that the outside backs for LAC ate up. Or it was Gite who was ineffective and Driussi who was played almost as a second forward more than as a number 10. Um, that were just, you know, Chiellini ate them up all day as well for that. I imagine, you know, Chiellini playing for Juventus against Mino's, you know, relegation fodder in Serie A. He's done that many a time. It's just simple. Win the header, get it to your other center back, and then pass out. And then there was just, there was no relief for Austin whatsoever. And in that, I think the and quality between the two teams was shown. And what I mean by that was is Austin proved this season that they were legit and they were much better than what they were in their expansion season. And they proved that they could get to the playoffs and be effective in the playoffs. They couldn't be effective against an elite team that had been there before. Like Austin is right now where LAFC maybe was three years ago when they lost to RSL when they got – Uh, down by the Seattle Sounders, I think it was a couple years ago, maybe before COVID as well. And so I think LAFC applied those lessons that they had, and there was a little bit of, I think, naivete from Josh Wolf and lack of playoff intensity that they showed that clearly LAFC did, knowing the expectations um, and the goals that they have certainly set as well. Um, Jamie, what does this mean for Austin? Because they had a really bad season, though we knew that a lot of really good things were there in their expansion season. Drew comes in, and as we'll get to in... Later on in the show, folks, finishes second in the MVP race show, MVP voting for the league. Josh Wolf proven that he can be a very good head coach. They've made good interleague signings. I'm still not convinced, other than see that they have a good DP. Uh, what does the season say about the Austin FC project? What are expectations and goals for next year?
0: Well, you touched on it there, and I think a key thing to look at is, without trying to dampen the mood at all, is to look at, the, the playoffs saw them and obviously it's great achievement to get to the playoffs let alone to come into it as one of the best sides in the West but then you see uh, it takes takes a whole 120 minutes then a penalty shootout to beat the 10 men of RSL and then to be fair I thought they performed very well against Dallas in that uh, Texas derby but then they go up an, another level where they play LAFC or in terms of opponent, LFC are much better than RSL and Dallas well so those are two very good teams Austin should be winning them, and then yeah, when all is said and done, the big challenge comes. And whilst there may have been more convincing scorelines in the past, at this stage in the playoffs, I can't remember the last time I saw such a convincing performance and win from a t- team at this level. where LFC were just yeah, just ran past them really, and not made it look easy. That'd be unfair, but they yeah, they were definitely dominant. And yeah, when you look uh, looking at Austin in general, I think um, it's a case of just slowly building, as you said, they were they were nowhere near this team a year ago, so to even get to this point under Josh Wolfers, is an incredible achievement, which probably won't be viewed in such a positive light at the moment, given that result, but in general, you can't take away what they've done this year, and yeah, I think it will be a case of just trying to go again. They're clearly on their day, one of the better teams in the West, so pushing for that top two, top three. Maybe even they'll be ambitious enough to say they can top the conference and then yeah, seeing what they can do in the postseason. Um another thing you touched on there with Juicy, he obviously is a stand up man and at times so much pressure falls on his shoulder, whereas Aruti and GT are, are very good pieces and Diego Figuendez is as a as a Rev report. So I know a bit of a unlike on this league, very good player on his day. It's a case of having having better pieces around Juicy maybe, whereas he doesn't have to do so much on his own. and He's proved uh, time and time again that he can do it on his own if called upon, so there's no doubt in the item-times ability. It's just a case of, yeah, whether you can bolster that and then, yeah, Brad Sluvy, I think top five goalkeepers in the league easily this year. So good week in, week out. You mentioned it, even in a 3-0 loss, but he made some great saves for the against RSL and Dallas as well and throughout the regular seasons. So I think mean, they've definitely got the pieces all over the pitch. Alexander Ring is a, a a vet when it comes to these postseason runs, with NYCFC. So another great piece, and yeah, it's just all a case of bringing it together under under a young manager and Josh Wolf, who's who's definitely shown he can do it. So yeah, I think when you ask where do they go, it's a case of like not being too too disheartened by a defeat to a better team and try and learn from LAFC. They're never gonna have the budget to be able to bring in players like Bale, Bowanga, Chiellini and so on and so on. But they are able to to compete on that level clearly, coming what, top three, top two in, in the conference next year will be the goal I imagine.
1: Uh, Jamie, just one thing I want to say on personnel for LAFC on this one. Uh, This is the second straight playoff game in which we've seen that front three be Bowanga, Arango, Carlos Vela from left to right. I think that's pretty solidly their best lineup that they have, both individually and then as a collective in which they try to play. Arango's a great number nine. Carlos Vela, obviously, I guess... You could call him a wide 10. I don't know how we would define that position, Jamie. But, you know, certainly we know we know what he does. He's very good at it. And he typically does that from a little bit more of a drawn standpoint. And Boanga's trying to stretch the back line. So they're foils for each other in ways that a Carlos Vela and a Gareth Bale being on the pitch at the same time are doing the exact same thing that makes them redundant and a little bit easier to deal with compared to the versatility. I think the midfield is absolutely set. Um, it should be Kellen Acosta, Elie Sanchez, and Jose Sinfuentes on the weekend, assuming one of them doesn't sustain an injury in the next few days in training. Uh, where I think it is interesting is what's happening at center back because you've got Murillo, you've got Chiellini, and then there's also uh, – who's the other one who I'm not remembering and now LAFC fans listening to this are going to be mad. Cigar, Segura. Segura, thank you. Thank you, yeah. Jamie. So I think I think there's an interesting question stylistically, how you want to deal with that. Chiellini is not very mobile, but fits in very Conca and in the dark arts and the shenanigans of the game that can be very effective in a final. So I think there's an interesting question there. And um, Jamie, your thoughts on the, the center back partnership? And then also, I mean, I just – Gareth Bale, not in the lineup for – L-Traffic, though. He's in the lineup or he's on the bench for this game as well. Apoku comes on instead of him, scores the game-winning goal as well. I mean, what do we make of, like, how much money is LAFC paying to have this guy train and then go play golfing? And I I know you're no fan of the Welsh national team, and obviously know what I want to see on that Monday in the World Cup, but I mean, what is this? I can't can't see how this is helping him more so than at least getting a game every four days in which he's at least going to come off the bench for a Cardiff City. But your, your thoughts on those two personnel decisions for um, Steve Scherundelow.
0: Well, starting first with the centre-back issue. And as you said, yeah, Chiellini is definitely an experienced head and can easily do it at his level. Talk about the dark arts. And as an Englishman, I remember it all too well, that pullback on Pekai Osaka in the final still haunts me to this day. Still want to be biased and say he should have been sent off, but we won't talk about that. And yeah, it was uh, Eddie Segura not even in the squad. Chiellini seemingly gone off injured. So that then turns the attention to Murillo alongside um, former MYCFC player Sebastian Ibiaga, which in itself would be not an inexperienced duo in terms of time on the pitch, but together they've played very little as a partnership, and then whether maybe they've also got Franco Escobar on the bench who with Atalanta United did tend to play at centre-back very, very rarely, so that's another option, but yeah, I think he goes outside and it'll be a massive loss if he is absent, but he's, without falling into too many cliches, he is one of those lion-hearted players that will do all he can to come back for such a big game. And then uh, the Bale situation, uh, there's so many different opinions flying around about it, and I understand all of them, whatever way you want to look at it, whether you're an LAFC fan or you don't like them at all, you want to see, see what you have to say about it. I think, yeah, I, I've never fully understand the move, I think. If, if the idea was for Tranlow to have agreed with him to play every now and then and just to tick along and get some minutes, I understand it from his point of view. But then, obviously, whether he's had injuries or not since coming there it remains to be seen. Yeah, it, it all just seems a bit of a farce when they've got so many attacking options, when they've got, yeah, Orango and Buanga there as well. And they bring in Christian Taylor, which seems almost equally useful of a useless deal from the fact that he's just not playing and whether that's maybe a a move for next year that may well be the case and he certainly is another player that can deliver in MLS I would imagine but yeah it's it's definitely a strange one regarding Bale obviously the, the rough years he's had in Madrid have always been had the caveat of the fact that he continues to deliver for Wales he's won them games in the playoffs he's scored fantastic goals on the international stage so I don't doubt that he will probably come out and scare the US and England in the group stages. It wouldn't surprise me if he was the talisman. But I still, I think, yeah, from, from the LAFC perspective, I guess, if they go on and win MLS Cup, then they'll turn around and say, we don't care what you think. We won the Shield and the Cup. Why does it matter whether he played or not? We've still got the players on the pitch that can do it. But yeah, when when you've got someone like there who's had a, a rough twelve or eighteen months, but it's still clearly very talented and seems to have maybe restored that faith in the team. Then yeah, the bail bail situation just continues to baffle me, and I don't know yet. I would have, I would have much sooner saw him go to Cardiff City, but that's just me
1: oh the champagne problems jamie of having gareth bale on the bench and not even needing to use him in major league soccer of all places oh goodness um let's move on to the more interesting or certainly the more dramatic of the two games the eastern conference final philadelphia union three NYCFC one back and forth affair jamie um a kg albeit not super exciting first half and then Uh, Maxi Morales scores in the 57th minute on a really nice, very NYCFC play out of the back, get a little bit in transition, create open space in the box, and then, you know, just a tap in for Maxi Morales, and then a sequence in... What do I have this? I have it as 11 minutes. That's my math there, Jamie, uh, in which uh, Philadelphia Union score three goals in the 65th, 67th, and then 76th. Julian Carranza, and then Daniel Gosdog, and then Corey Burke. Corey Burke on a broken play after a save, kind of in transition with the game, uh, kind of going a little bit crazy. Daniel Gosdog with a really good sequence in transition with Jack McGlynn and Julian Carranza combining and Jacob Glessness finding Carranza on a set piece with a substitution potentially happening and just NYCFC's defense just being caught napping in this one. Uh, Jamie, unlike our Western Conference final this was a matchup between two teams of very similar styles. They both can play out of the back. They can both press. They both like transition play. Um, And then we kind of saw that I would say maybe not the set piece, because it's kind of hard to have a transition sequence on a set piece, but all four of these games were all four of these goals were scored off of chaos and mistakes and open space and really, really good quality. And I think ultimately Philly just kind of caught on a run and NYCFC weren't able really to stop them. And it was kind of against the narrative of what I think both teams are and what I was expecting from this game. At the same thing time, I thought it was a fitting kind of response rebuttal to this fixture last year and maybe some of the flack that Philadelphia Union's gotten about being a a paper tiger. What'd you see? What'd you like about this game?
0: I think yeah, it was always set to be a fascinating matchup with two like stalwarts in the last few years of of the Eastern Conference, and I think one obvious headline for me, whilst it m- might be. Lazy, because obviously most of the work is done on the pitch was obviously the manager, the managerial battle, Jim Curtin's established himself with this union team. He's been there throughout the years and they've got such a, a tight-knit unit there that like they could go on and do anything under him because they have such strong belief in him. And then you caveat that with, or you rival that against the fact that NYCFC obviously lost lost Ronnie Dial at mid-season, I want to say, to Belgium. And then uh, Nick Cushing comes in and, Whilst the uh, decent manager in the in the city football group just wasn't really able to to fully uh, not so much mold mold the players in his view because the whole point of the city football group is to continue along a similar a similar line. But whilst there were good points towards the end of the regular season, it was it was always it was always looking like if it came down to the managers, there's only one winner, and obviously that would be Jim Curtin. And yeah, it was I think to see. A single goal or maybe a couple of goals in this game wouldn't have been a surprise at all the union whilst they have been prolific scorers this season they very rarely ship goals so a 1-0 or 2-0 win seemed fairly fairly likely if you're going to guess the scoreline but it was more of the case of yeah they they get not give away the goal and do very well to open the scoring and then fairly up against it and that they've got to come back from behind at home you always back them to to get the job done under Jim Curtin because of how well he's molded this group, and yeah, it's not unlikely. But Julian Carranza was what eighteen months ago to MLS fans, he wouldn't have been considered much of a prospect at all with Miami. Which uh, that's that's Miami for you. You never know what's going to happen. But yeah, with with the Union, he's definitely become become a much well, much better rounded player. And then Gazdag, another MLS MVP candidate along with Juicy, as we mentioned. It's just a case of, yeah, the Union continue to get it done. I think the home field advantage has to be has to be said for something. It, it continues to be with, obviously, the vast size of the US. It's so much more of a pressing issue than someone like me would realise over here. But when you do compare the distance that I have to travel from home to London is four hours, that's a pretty short trip for most American games. So, yeah, it's quite... Quite of a quite of an overriding factor, and it was the union, the home side, that came out on top. And I think almost deserving. So it's it's easy enough to say, oh, they won, they won the east, so they deserve to go to MLS Cup. But they have, I think, been easily the the best and most consistent team throughout the year in the east.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Jamie. Um, There's a few individual performances I want to highlight. Uh, you made a really good shout there with Julian Carranza. Just looking up his stats, Jamie, to just show the difference and how things can change when you're on the right team or maybe have the right situation or more familiar with this league. Um, in two seasons, albeit one including 2020 and the monstrosity that was that year, Julian Carranza had three goals in 1,300 minutes with Inter Miami, and then in 2,200 minutes, so roughly double the number of minutes, he had 14 goals and nine assists. So Three goals, and then if we double that for Inter-Miami um, for this one season, potentially you're looking at six goals in – 200 in 2,200 minutes, and then he has 14 goals, 9 assists, which is, what, 23 goal contributions? That has to be top 10 in the league, Jamie. I think in a in another year where Hani Mukhtar and Sebastian Drewski aren't doing these things, I think there's a serious question. You know, are, are you talking, in the same way for Defender of the Year, the question was, well, which center back or Kai Wagner do you pick from the Philadelphia Union? Is it a Daniel Gosdawg-Julian Carranza race? I think would be an interesting question as well. So I want to highlight with Julian Carranza did obviously with his goal and his assist in this game. Daniel Gozdog, another fantastic performance. One of the most like underrated and under the radar number 10s for a guy who finished top 5 in MVP voting as well. I still think is extremely underrated. But the two other performances that I want to highlight. I'll I'll stick with the Union for a moment, Jamie. Um Andre Blake who I thought was absolutely fantastic. You know, it was 1-1 there in the 60th minute and it was kind of going back and forth, but I felt like there were a few really good chances there that NYCFC had that came before the philly goal and i think it was i can't remember what minute it was but it was at the near post and it was a really great save and the ball got cleared off of the rebound as well andre blake was absolutely fantastic in this one i think showed why he deservedly was goalkeeper of the year and he made this these are the kind of saves you need if you want to win a championship your goalkeeper making saves that you don't expect them to save or that should absolutely be a goal and if i transpose that jamie very similar to what I think Brad Stuver tried to do against LAFC. And I think this is where I think certainly Andre Blake is, you know, a better goalkeeper, not by much over Brad Stuver, but that could be super critical at times in the final on Saturday. And I think that's really where we're set up for an even and interesting matchup on Saturday. But then the other, um, the other individual performance that I want to look at, Jamie, I think similar to Austin, where I think Josh Wolf made two key tactical mistakes. I'd have put Ethan Finley in, for Ragoni on the right, and then I think something with the spacing between Gite and Driussi and how far Driussi was from where they were getting the ball and trying to get the ball was off relative to LAFC's shape, and so for this one, I did not like Hawk at center back, yes okay, he's played there a few times during the season in spots when they didn't really have it right but um, I think especially with the front three that you have of Philadelphia, I think you could have had a back five and then just had it maybe switching to where Tinnerholm goes forward and then it's in a back three in possession, but I thought a really young, exciting midfielder talent was put in a position to fail i think he does not look great on the three goals that were ultimately conceded you know it worked when ultimately they were able to come back and you know it worked in the playoff game against inter miami inter miami is a very different team from philadelphia union i didn't like that particular idea i think if nick Cushing could go back i think you would go to a back four tenner home go forward and i think they needed a little bit more oomph in the midfield i would have liked to have seen keaton parks earlier in this one or potentially starting with that shift but uh you know, Jamie, last thing that we have on this Eastern Conference Final. Any thoughts on my thoughts or anything that you want to close out with?
0: Just, uh, I thought you made a very good point about Cronzo, about how he has thrown under the radar, making such a jump after that uh, slow start in Miami. And then just with the the starting lineup for from this game in front of me, you talk about him as maybe like an outside shout for one of the better players in the league this season. But then you go Andre Blake, Jacob Glesner, Jack Elliott, Kai Wagner, Jose Martinez, Alejandro Doria, and Daniel Garsdag have all had, I would say rightly so as well, have all had more positivity and more praise on their name. So you've got seven or eight players there who have easily been exceptional and then you still go, Ura and Leon Flack have also been very good. So it's just a case of this union team. I, I find it find it almost hard not to like them because there's so many, so many good individuals, but when they come together as a team, it just works so well. And then with that spearhead of Jim Curtin, who is... Again, a very likable figure. I think, yeah, the Union are they're a, they're a very good asset for the league, and they they make a good make a good impact on the rest of the world when representing the MLS
1: absolutely Jamie and oh who do we have off the bench you have Jack McGlynn who comes in is absolutely fantastic when Alejandro Bedoya has to come off at halftime you have Corey Burke who scores the goal to seal it you have Paxton Arison a great midfielder and certainly you know the pedigree that comes with the Aronson name in European clubs particularly looking at him and Matt Real who's got that dog in him defensively so you know similarly I think you know Jamie if it wasn't for the fact that LAFC have kind of taken over the Seattle Sounders LA Galaxy like evil empire we have all the money we spend all the stuff and everything you know Philadelphia Union are approaching, like, there's almost a, like, Leicester City 2016 likability about their characters and the fact that they're doing it on a budget and everything. Um, And I'm not suggesting that uh, Jim Curtin is Claudio Ranieri in this scenario. Um, I think he's got a far better wardrobe, and he's probably less obsessed with pizza, which um, I'd I'd take – I I would want Jim Curtin's wardrobe and then the obsession with pizza if I was crafting my perfect manager. But that's neither here nor there. Jamie, let's get to the MLS Cup Final this Saturday, November 5th. Remember, remember the 5th of November, 4 p.m. Eastern. um, And it's Philadelphia Union against LAFC, the two conference Uh, regular season champions now the two conference playoff champions the two teams that finished top two in supporter shield that went down to i think the second to last match day of the regular season as well i think this is absolutely the two best teams in the playoffs i think this is the most interesting or the most high-powered final that we're going to see as we just walked through you know the entire LASC lineup and stars and great performance in sevens and eights out of 10 and this one and similarly for Philadelphia Union. Jamie your initial impressions on this and given how much we've talked about the tactical similarities between this team you know what what do you see in that?
0: Well I think the first thing you look at is as you mentioned is top seed in the east versus top seed in the west and that is there's something quite poetic about that that two teams can be well so our, the uh the union particularly were run close when it comes to that top spot by the likes of uh cf montreal and MICFC. it is quite good to see the two best teams in the regular season then be able to deliver and show that again in the postseason i was trying to look before we couldn't really find any stats of how often that has happened where the two teams that are um both top in the conferences go to mls cup but the ones that i did find was that um uh, which I think will pl- again play a part, is that of the last eleven finals, which the win the the higher seed plays on home soil, only two have been won by the away side. One of which was last year by M Y C F C in um, Portland, Oregon. So I think it will be it will be a-, a challenge when it comes to the Union, obviously having to be that away side going to go into L A F C, which is certainly a tough place to go, as many teams will attest to, and I think. That that may well, when it comes to my prediction, and a lot of people's predictions could be a big sticking point, as that LAFC have that home advantage, they have that ferocious atmosphere over there in California, and it could well play a major part. But I think it is just, yeah, it's just a positive for the league to have two such good footballing sides to be able to to represent it at the at the showcase event, and um, so many so many individual battles all over the field that you can pick out. Whether you mentioned about um down the left for U- the Union for uh, Kai Wagner again. He's obviously, as well as having a challenging fullback to face, he's got Carlos Fair running them as well. You see what Chicho Rango. I think he's a very underrated player in this league. He's up against arguably the best defensive duo, centre-back partnership in the league, and then Andre Blake if he can get past them. So a lot of it is is down to the Union having such a strong defence and then LAFC having the stars going forward, whether they're on the field or not. You're still, even if your Bales and your Teo's are going to be sidelined, still got Boranga, uh, excellent player with Saint Etienne for most most of it, and then obviously yeah Bayer as well. So there's so yeah. It's just you can work lyrical about the talent all over the pitch, and uh, one player I think you could be key whether he plays or not is Alejandro Bedoya with with the uni. He's been he's been, hey, he's like a fine wine. It's uh it's a overused phrase, but I think it I think it fits here because he's he's always been. He's always been in the league and he's just continued to thrive as that elder statesman in this union team. Um, Jim Curtin's brought through so many youngsters, whether it be Brendan Aronson and Mark McKenzie going off to Europe and then the likes of Pat Starrington's younger brother and so many other younger players coming through. Bedoya's been the one constant, the one senior player and obviously losing his legs a bit, understandably, and his fitness may well be a doubt for the final having... I only played 45 minutes in the last game. I think just the way you can control the game from that base and center of midfield is is so key and could become particularly important with the fast-flowing and heavily attacking force at LAFCR. So I think, yeah, that could be key. I'll be keen to see whether Bedoya does does make it into the into the lineup.
1: Mm-hmm. Two things there for you, Jamie. You were asking the last time the top two seeds made it to MLS Cup final. Uh, Tom Bogert tweeted right after that was confirmed on Sunday, the last time that happened was 2003. So you're going on a decade since, you know, we had a, Chalky result in terms of just the two best teams win out, you know, the better team from the regular season wins out. And we obviously know the stats regarding how uncommon it is for the Supporter Shield winner to do the double with MLS Cup. That's happened, what, seven times in, what, 26, 27 seasons that we're in now. So right around, you know, less than a third, less than one in four. And I have the stats up here as well. Jamie, the last time that would have happened would have been Toronto FC under um, Greg Vanny in 2017. But then I look at four of those come in the first decade of MLS when it was all DC United, LA Galaxy and Kansas City Wizards as well. So if we if we talk about the modern era of MLS, which I say has to include TAM, if let's if we go back, you know, a decade, the LA Galaxy did it in twenty eleven, David Beckham, Landon Donovan, Robbie King, you know, a dynasty there. But if we look at in the Tam era, really the last decade as well, it's happened. Once and in terms of teams that have even made it to the final, I have it that it's only been it's only been one. And most teams, most of the Supporters' Shield winners end up losing in the conference semifinals or the conference finals. So, rarefied air for this final alone, and rarefied air certainly if uh, LAFC will be put in a different category um, in terms of. Um, doing the double with other teams that we've talked about. You're talking about dynasties or the single greatest season in a club's history. If we talk about Columbus Crew 2008, Toronto, as I just mentioned, 2017, uh, then the Kansas City Wizards, what we now know as Sporting Kansas City in 2000, um, you know, a massive opportunity for this club and for both teams as well. But, you know, let's get to, um, you know, we talked about how stylistically they're so similar. You know, Jamie, I think if you had asked me if, you, if you'd asked me on Sunday morning, you know, if LFC comes out and plays after their potential, is there any way anyway Austin wins it? And I would have said no. And I think if there's one team that both stylistically and their quality over their pitch and their veteran experience in these moments that I could say match that would be Philadelphia Union. I, I still think, as you mentioned earlier, about the home team being the better team. LFC has all the stars. I think they have more difference makers in that regard, you know, Chiellini at the back, um, you know, you could make an argument for any one of the attacking players they have at this point, even the guys that are considered more role players. They have the more star power. They have the more money in that regard. And so I haven't checked the betting lines, but I'm sure they're probably favored and they're the home team. They should win this. If LAFC play their best game of the season, it is going to take Philadelphia Union's best game of the season by far in order to win this game. And so, I think if I look at it, I think you have to think that the injury and the personnel question that you have for LAFC at the center back role has to be a factor that makes things a little bit easier for the Philadelphia Union attack I have to think I would say that both teams are fairly intense in their press but when I think about who's the intense team I think Philadelphia Union like it's it's New York Red Bulls Philadelphia Union so I have to think if NY you know I think both teams are going to come out absolutely flying out of the blocks it's going to be hell for leather on Saturday but I think if Philadelphia Union can match or exceed that intensity and then maintain that, I think that's advantage for them given the time of when kickoff is and then given where the weather is going to be as well. So I think if, if, uh, if, um, if Philadelphia Union are going to win this game, I think they play their best game. I think they get helped out a little bit by the center back situation for LAFC I think Andre Blake stands on his head for a big save at some point during the game as well if you asked me if you told me right now there's going to be a 3-0 blowout and you asked me uh you know which one of you know uh, there's a we uh, simulate this game 100 times and it leads to a uh, hundred 0 blowouts, I would say probably 99 of those are an LAFC blowout. But that's how I see Philadelphia Union winning this game. I think it's their collective. I think it's their intensity. And I think it's making fewer mistakes in LAFC and taking advantage of where their potential weaknesses are. And then just hoping that they, you know, have their absolute best game defensively against Bella, Arango. And then that happens to be Good enough with those players, maybe only at ninety percent instead of a hundred percent in terms of their quality. J- you know, I'll throw it back to you. I guess other than what I just answered of single best performance of the season, how does LAFC win this?
0: Uh, I mentioned it before, and I just think it's not necessarily a reason why they win it, but it, it can definitely benefit. And is is that home advantage? Having obviously not having to travel across the country is is a major factor, no matter how you look at it. And yeah, I think. Um yeah, L E F C are the the attacking team in it, they're their own team, so they're gonna they're gonna be the one to press the issue really and they're gonna wanna be the ones to to decide the game. They're gonna wanna win it on their terms, as we saw with Austin. That was the bottom line for me was that they they dominated that game, they decided how the game went and they took Austin took Austin on. I think although the union are a stronger team, a more defensively robust team, LFC would again they're not going to be ones to sit back. there again want to going to take on that union team, and I think that'll be that's how they play their best football, and that's how they they're going to have to do it again with such ability all over the field. They yeah, they're just going to keep pushing and pushing. And it's 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 funny how good this team is when you can wax lyrical about players all over the field. And although we only although we did touch it on it briefly, you look at that midfield, and like if if you told me someone like Kellen Acosta, for example, was was the game changer? I wouldn't be surprised at all because he has shown in the league and for the US that he is that good, and it's the same for whether it be Sifuentes and Elias Sanchez as well. So yeah, it is just a case of LaFC have made such smart acquisitions, not just the big names, but in the league. Whether you look at Ryan Honzed Acosta, Maxim Crapo, since um since Steve Donlow's come in, they've had that window of making some some very savvy in house in in league signings that are not only different to because they are some of the best in the league. Last year Crapo was one of the best goalkeepers in the league. Hollandhead always is alongside the likes of Tinnerholm. up there is the best fullback in the league when fit. So I think it's just a case of on paper it's their game to lose and their game to win at the same time. And also with the home advantage again it just becomes more and more the case that on paper and like for a similar, yeah, you would point towards LAFC getting the job done, but as, as you mentioned a few times and rightly so, Andre Blake can do something amazing and so can this whole union unit. So yeah, that's, that's my pitch as to why I think LAFC should be definitely considered favourites and could definitely pull off a, a, a double this year.
1: You prompt an interesting question, Jamie, of, the you know, who could you not see from the, the guaranteed starting eleven not being the X-Factor? So you mentioned Kellen Acosta in there. I could absolutely see Philadelphia and Jim Curtin having a great tactical idea that LAFC hasn't seen before this season that just stymie Arango Vela and up. But then Sifuentes scores the Golasso to absolutely win this. So, like, I look at the—well, throughout the center backs, because I think there's an interesting question of who's starting there. Like, who do I not see being— uh, a potential game breaker for LAFC I mean maybe you go Ilya Sanchez just cause he's the least impressive of all the other guys playing around him and then I do the exact same thing with Philadelphia Union who to your point other than Bedoya is maybe the only question about who's starting as well the The closest one that I can come up with is like yes this guy is not the the X factor is Baizo who you would argue is the fourth least significant player in the back four and you're talking about a back four that includes Jack Elliott Jacob Gillesnes and Kai Wagner and everything you know Like, oh, woe is me, John Stones wasn't the X Factor for Manchester City this past weekend in their dramatic win. Like, (laughs) how do I even... You know, so, so to this point, like, I, I just, I can't emphasize this enough, folks. This is the, these are the two best teams in Major League Soccer. There's stars in quality all over the pitch. There's no real distinct weakness for every single team. And I think that is going to make for a really, really compelling final that I'm so excited for in ways that I think are going to be unpredictable relative to other MLS Cup finals in. A recent memory have. Uh, last question that I have for you, Jamie. I'm probably going to turn this into an article for last word, um, for a preview as well. Um, which team? It, it's it's kind of hard to say. You know, oh, which team doesn't want to win? MLS Cup and everything. You know, two teams are going to play in the World Cup final. Which team does it mean more to? Like, it means the world to. It means literally the world to win the World Cup. So, um, which team do you think this means the most to? Or do you think there's a a person, a player, a head coach where this would be particularly significant for them, their career, and their story?
0: I think, uh, I didn't really know how to answer this until you said one of the final things you said. And that's, like, when you look at the head coaches, for example, Steve Tranlow. First year in the job. If if you told him and the board that prior to the season he'd win the shield and get to MLS Cup, whilst ultimately LAFC's goal has been to get over the hump in MLS Cup and finally get their hands on the trophy, that would still be pretty impressive. Whereas although this is still a great landmark achievement for Jim Curtin, given the the building that blocks he's had to put in place over these years to get to MLS Cup, I still think. It would be more of a case of the vindication of that project paying off for for the union as a whole. And I think it depends how you look at it because I think LaFC need to win it more because of the the money they've invested. The so that's that's the main that's the bottom line. The money they've invested and and this need constant need. They refreshed. They they got rid of Bob Bradley, which was quite a brave decision, although he obviously wasn't performing as well as he had been earlier on in his tenure. And then they bring in someone like Trundle who. In some ways, it's an unknown quantity when it comes to MLS management, and then yeah, it's, it's paid off clearly as well as a lot of the signings on the field. But I think yeah, for what LAFC stands for, for what they're investing into the league and into their players, that they need to win it more. And I think on that basis, you can maybe argue they want it more, but that that may not that may not seem as it is because the union have continued to build. They've got such a, a tight knit community that. LAFC want to win it for LAFC, whereas every individual on the union's team wants to win it for each other and wants to win it for, as I said, the vindication of this project paying off. So I'd say, it's hard, hard as a, like a journalist or whatever, looking on to question who wants to win it more. But I'd have to say, if I was pushed, I'd point towards Jim Curtin and the union, just because it's just it's what they deserve. Almost it'll be the the icing on the cake of such a a well a well fought out few years, which will go down in the history of MLS.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question, Jamie. First of all, you know, you brought up that, you know, Bob Bradley ultimately ended up leading the club. Like, how do you think, what's he doing on Saturday and is he going to watch this MLS Cup final? You know, because it's like the, oh, LAFC and, you know, we spend a bunch of money and everything, but we haven't put it together and we choke in the playoffs and everything. And Carlos Vela might not be back because his contract's coming out in the summer. I'm going to go to Toronto where I'm going to get to coach my son. We get to spend more on transfer fees for Italian players than the rest of the team spends on leagues uh, on their entire budget. And we don't make the playoffs and potentially they're here getting ready to win MLS Cup. Urgh. Like, you know, so I guess the if I'm asking, I'd be pretty confident in saying Bob Bradley was rooting for the Philadelphia Union on Saturday. But, you know, you bring up a, I think it's an interesting point. I think from an ownership, a marketing standpoint, it means more to LAFC. You know, I can tell you, Don Garber, from a financial standpoint, is probably hoping that LAFC end up winning on Saturday. I mean, we've seen that where, you know, he's kind of – He's smiled through his teeth as he lied about really wanting the LA Galaxy in Seattle to win MLS Cups when they've been in finals. But you know, I think LAFC has said like our goal is MLS Cup. We want to win a championship. That's what we want. I don't know that Philly is like made that like their main calling card as opposed to their sustainable like sustained success as well. So maybe I'd lean or in that nuanced manner, it matters more to LAFC if I'm looking at. Individuals that I think it really matters to. I think Carlos Vela, given where he's been at, you know, he's basically won everything else that he's going to win in Major League Soccer. He's won two supporter shields. He's uh, been voted, you know, he has goal of the year. He's won MVP and everything. If you're talking about, you know, Carlos Vela scores the game winner in MLS Cup to win the first MLS Cup in LAFC history. He's around for a few more years. He does what he does statistically, puts himself at the point where it's going to take a really long time or another special player, to match him statistically and everything, then you'd argue that in the first 10 years of LAFC, Carlos Fell is the only player that deserves, you know, ring of honor, a statue outside the ground. Um, You know, uh, you wouldn't do a jersey number retirement because he wears number 10. But, you know, that'd be the one that I would highlight. I look at Kellen Acosta, who, if he plays well at the World Cup, I think is probably looking at European offers in January. And that's something that he's alluded to numerous times with me when I've covered him in Colorado, in other aspects of his career is something that he wants as well. So I think there's a very good possibility that this is Carl, this is Kellen Acosta's final game in MLS. And so I think he probably wants to go out as a champion. Uh, he's won a Supporters' Shield with, and an Open Cup, I believe, with FC Dallas. You know, um, you know, was top of the Western Conference with Colorado Rapids last season, didn't get it done. I think he goes out a champion, balls out in Qatar, and then a $2 million, $3 million offer comes in in January, and then he's off to his European adventure. And then if I look at individuals kind of in a similar way, I would say, you know, we've highlighted and, you know, sung the praises of Alejandro Bedoya, you know, who I can't remember his age, Jamie, but he's got to be at least 34 at this point. And so you've got to think that there's not too much time left. And to come back to MLS, be a part of the building up of the Philadelphia Union captain, stalwart, you know, the Jim Curtin on the field and everything, you know, that would be a nice way to say, you know, in the years to come when he's asked about his time with the Philadelphia Union, when he's interviewed and everything, like, do you have any regrets with Philadelphia and I think his regret would be we didn't win that MLS Cup final in 2022 so I think individually it matters to him and to your point, Jamie, about Jim Curtin and winning it for the Collective, I think it matters to Jim Curtin because just like Carlos Vela, he's done everything as a head coach that you would want. He's brought in young players. He's won on a budget and everything. He's developed his own style, his own personality and everything, his bravado around him. He's won a supporter shield. He's gotten to Open Cup Finals. The only thing that he's really missing that matters from an MLS resume is MLS Cup. And similarly, I think if he wins it with now, you know, hopefully Jay- Jesse Marsh, stays up with Leeds United, but, you know, I think in the same way that Jamie maybe five years ago, the narrative and the view on American players was starting to change, maybe now the view on American coaches is starting to change a little bit, and I think Jim Curtin probably realistically is looking at, you know, do I want to have do I want to try coaching in Europe? And when is that opportunity going to come about? And I think if he wins MLS Cup, that's the last thing that maybe is holding him on to that I haven't done everything that I want to do from an MLS perspective before I'm ready to challenge myself. Or who knows, maybe Gareth Bale scores a hat trick and then uh, Greg Berhalter is out of a job. And then Jesse Mars says, no, nah, I want to stay in the Premier League and win a- and make a lot of money. And Jim Curtin says, all right, I'll coach this team in 2026. But who knows? We're getting way ahead of ourselves, Jamie. Anything else that we want to say about the final, Jamie, or shall we move on to the round table and pickums? Move on, I reckon, as it's we said planning. So, uh, last on the on last episode, folks, Harvey and I went through the various season awards that had been announced so far. This season, I believe the only one that was remaining was the actual MVP, which we did not know about. And earlier today, maybe yesterday at time of recording, Jamie, we found out that ultimately it was Hani Mukhtar. Uh, No big surprises for me in this regard. I think we expected it to be him. It was going to be him and Driussi. And if the other players wanted to argue of the finalists who was going to finish third, then they're welcome to do that. Uh, Jamie, what can we say about Hani Mukhtar and just how convincingly and deservedly he won the Atlanta Donovan MVP?
0: It's, it's one of those where there's, there's so many superlatives you could describe him with for what he's done almost single-handedly at times in Nashville. Obviously, the end for this year was quite underwhelming in the playoffs, they, they didn't really show a whole lot and went out with somewhat of a whimper, but that shouldn't that shouldn't discount from him as an individual for what he's done in the regular season and uh, in the earlier stages of the season. Him and CJ Spong had such a good uh, partnership going forward and whilst Sapong's maybe falling off Mukhtar's um, continue to be be that metronome, be the the man who 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 makes Nashville work, who makes them win. He's so vital to that team and some of the things he can do with the ball at his feet on, on the field is, is nothing short sure of remarkable and it's one of those where you could just like with Jerusalem to be honest, two very talented players, you could easily just wax lyrical about it's just a case of whether Nashville can with obviously they got got a new stadium They've got got some pieces building there, in the team can they can they bring in a player or two in the off season around Mokhtar to almost take them to that next level to make them a a genuine contender. Because whereas at times this year there were people, me included, who who had the belief that Gary Smith's team could challenge in around the likes of the Union, LAFC, it never really came to fruition. I don't think as it stands with the players they've got in comparison, I don't know if it ever will. So it will be a case of can they add in a player or two in and around Mukhtar to make the difference. But as an individual, yeah, he's so talented and such an asset to the league. And I just think as good as Drew, Drew has been, especially he's almost shown more in the postseason than Mukhtar has through no fault of the German's own, to be honest. Mokhtar is just, yeah, such a talent and, yeah, definite MVP for it.
1: Yeah and how convincing this was Jamie um the total vote so there's the player vote there's the media vote and then the club vote so the media vote is 1 independent media member from every single market in MLS and I think the club vote is probably just like one executive as well it's probably a GM or a president Um, I'm not sure how many like actual player votes get in there but in any case Jamie so of those three the total votes that they got Hani Mukhtar got 48.03% and there was no total of those three individual breakdowns that he was not at least 10 or 15 percentage points better than Driussi so Driussi got 17% and then Andre Blake just under 8%. So Jamie if we're, you know, we have an election coming up in the United States, if you told me right now in a um, you know, in a vote for any senate or, you know, if the, if somebody gets 48% of the votes for um, president across the entire country and the next best is 17%, that is an electoral college landslide most likely. And so in, in that regard, I think that showed uh, that showed how great, how much better Honey Mukhtar was than Sebastian Drucy. I think that showed how much more valuable Sebastian Drucy was than anybody else. And they didn't even list who the other Um, I know Daniel Gosdog finished top five. I think I saw a press release about that. So I'm not sure what the voting total was, but you know, if um, if Mukhtar gets almost 50%, and then you have almost 25% for the others. You're looking at less than 5% for the final ones. But in any case, to Honey, congratulations to Honey Mukhtar on that. Jamie, let's move on. MLS Cup Final, Saturday, November 5th, 4 p.m. Eastern time on Big Fox, Bart Simpson Fox, also on Univision if you want to watch En Español. LAFC hosting Philadelphia Union at the Bank of California Stadium. Jamie, what is your final prediction? Who's lifting MLS Cup? How does it happen? Who's scoring the goals? Ninety minutes, extra time, PKs. Talk to me.
0: We've both just said how for for an hour almost how good the two teams are. So if it feels so hard to split them, but I think as one thing we mentioned regularly was the the potential issues at centre back for LFC, and I think that could could well come come to the fore and will allow the Union to get on the score sheet. But I still just think, as history shows, the home team has the advantage, and I think they they will finally get over the line. L A F C what what they've been waiting for since joining the league, they will get that MLS Cup glory. And I think I think it will have to be a narrow game, and it goes out saying that this Union team aren't gonna or very rarely are gonna ship many goals. And Blake will no doubt make four or five incredible saves. But I think just with the talent LFC have got going forward, I'm I'd probably I think, I think I'm going to go with a 2 1 win to LFC in 90 minutes with Carlos Mayer to get on the score sheet and top it off very well.
1: Um, I've got the exact same scoreline, Jamie, but I have it in extra time. I think it'll be one of those where it's really cagey to start out. It'll almost be like both teams punting on, like how you've seen in knockout competition where both teams like punt on the first leg and then play for it in the second leg. I think it will be a cagey, limited chances, almost no highlights whatsoever in the first half. Um, I think Philly scores early in the second half they pretty much shut up shop at that point LaFC breaks through almost like battering ram approach in the attack and then it gets the game gets stretched it goes into chaos and laFC's quality in transition shows to win this one 2 one so I guess to get some specifics on the goal scores here Jamie I will give um, give me Daniel Gosdog on a broken play in transition. For Philadelphia, similar to the Corey Burke goal on the weekend, the third goal for Philly over NYCFC. I think that opens the scoring. I'll take Carlos Vela on a free kick to make it 1-1. And then I'll say it's... um, I'll say it's... Poku in extra time to ultimately close it out in 120 minutes um we'll see what happens jamie that brings us to the end of the show it is time for last words anything else you want to say about mls cup related or otherwise
0: not oh, really uh, the thing the thing that always always takes me back when it comes to steve Tranlow though is uh all in all honestly, when he came into the job i didn't know all that much about him then it was just flashback to a few years ago on I did a quiz on the Athletic, it was like through COVID there was like a interactive Zoom quiz for subscribers about the Bundesliga, and it was hosted by Rafael Honigstein. It's one of my favorite journalists; so good. And you didn't know about at the time, but it was like, oh, here's here's the guest presenter, Steve Trundell, as a former Bundesliga player presenting it. And at the time, like I knew he was American, but I knew very little about him. So to have that chance to chat with him over a Zoom call and do quite well on the quiz was quite cool. And now. Now the fact that you'll will be watching him on on the TV screens at MLS Cup is quite a full circle moment that I quite like. But i sadly will be rooting against him. I think the Union are are the, are the more likable team. And whilst I'm I'm not gonna lose sleep over the outcome, I will I will be rooting for Philadelphia certainly.
1: Yes, I'm I'm rooting for Philly as well, Jamie. I guess this is the this is the one thing that we didn't really answer. What's the better story? You know, so from the journalist perspective you know we don't root for teams we root for people we root for good stories and so we answered the question of the people that we think it would matter most that would be mythologized that would be so rewarded and fulfilled by winning MLS Cup I think I do still think that the better story is Philadelphia Union what they built up over the course of the next couple several years Bella's gonna be there Steve Toronto is gonna be there um, you know but we'll we'll see I think it's the there's almost a deserved you're the big money team it takes you a while to win an MLS Cup you know it took till 2003 for the LA Galaxy to finally win some after making all those finals against dc it took seattle so long it took nyc not nyc fc um toronto fc so long but either way i think it's a great story two great teams lots of really good characters an absolutely fantastic season you know in a, a final that you know it's it's a championship that i think we'll look on and you know think about in terms of MLS lore and MLS storytelling regardless of the outcome you know assuming there isn't a, a bogus red card or some officiating that ruins it as well um With that note, Jamie, I am, I'm, I'm gonna ask, let me look up who's the, who's gonna be the official for this game. Do we have this? Let me see if we have it yet. Ah, so last year, uh last one that we have here, folks, uh according to um proreferee.com, the assignments that they have for MLS Cup, um, the MLS referee of the year, Ishmael Elfath, will be in the center. I think that's a very, very fair appointment that you have in that. Uh, Drew Fisher will be the VAR for that one. So hopefully this is hopefully this game isn't marred by a very controversial decision that Ishmael Elfath has to say about this when we're talking about the game and rather than the officiating in this one, Jamie. But um, Last thing, folks. I want to thank our sponsors first. Roughneck Scarves are an official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get your custom scarves, neck gaiters, or masks for your group, team, or office at RoughneckScarves.com. And if you're not particularly enamored with your favorite national team's World Cup jersey, at the very least, I'm sure they have some really nice scarves that you could get. In addition to your mostly white training top or mostly blue training top that your team may or may not be wearing in Qatar, I'm not pointing out someone specifically. You don't know what I'm talking about, Jamie. And then on that note. Are you tired of these old uniforms and cookie cutter templates and boring stuff that you get from the big boys? Do you want a unique and completely custom kit for a youth team, Sunday League squad, adult, pro team office, or even last minute World Cup qualifying team? Icarus FC can help you design the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Their motto is any design you want seriously. Let them design the kit of your dreams today at IcarusFC.com. Listeners, check us out at LastWordOnSports.com backslash soccer. Check out all of our socials at LastWordSC and share, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search LWS Radio. You'll find us and a bunch of other great content. Listeners, we'll see you maybe Sunday, maybe Monday early next week to recap MLS Cup. Look ahead to the World Cup and the MLS offseason.